This is the Sports Aid Vault podcast with me, Tom Gale. And me, Dominic Menzel. Each month, we will be joined by one of Britain's most talented young sports stars. As they share the story behind their achievements so far, we'll find out what drives them to succeed and what it takes to reach the podium. We'll also discover more about the person behind the athlete and their early years and future ambitions. This month's guest represented Team GB at the Youth Olympics in 2014. He was a decorated amateur boxer with eight national titles and a European silver to his name. He's now turned professional with Mayweather Promotions out in the States and as an up-and-coming cruiserweight in the game, his record currently stands at 4-0. It's Vidal Riley. So here we go, Dom. This is our very first episode. I'm excited, man. How are you feeling? Very, very excited. Super um, looking forward to chatting to some of the athletes we've got on the cards. There's lots of podcasts out there. You know, how are we going to do things differently? What are we going to bring to the table? I think um, the aim of this podcast is we want to really, really dive deep. Don't ask too many cliche questions, but actually get into the real gems of what it takes to be an athlete, go into the real nitty gritty to hopefully help um, other athletes aspiring to reach the top. And they can hopefully apply the gems that we're going to find out about these athletes to their own personal careers. Well, you're not just bringing your name to this podcast, are you, as well? You do have a background in elite sport. For those listeners who surprisingly may not be aware of who Dominic Mensah is, do you want to just give us a, a brief history to bring them up to speed? So me, myself, um, my history in elite sport comes from gymnastics. I've been doing gymnastics my pretty much my entire life, and I currently compete for Great Britain. Um, at the moment, I'm a world champion um, with my teammates event last year in Tokyo, but I've also won medals at European and British level as well. Still currently competing, um, and it's all going well for me. So in complete contrast, zero tumbling experience, zero Team GB medals or anything like that. Played every single sport going and particularly really enjoyed my athletics. But as I've grown older, obviously got involved in journalism, cover a lot of sports. And I'm delighted to be helping Sports Aid and some of their uh, workshops that help support elite athletes on their journey. So if it's Q&A with some of their alumni or just media training. So that's that's how briefly I've been involved. And we're delighted with our first guest because it shares a common bond between us, uh, Dom, is our love of boxing. So you want to just tell mm -hmm. the listeners what's on your cap at the moment? Yeah, so um, love my boxing and the man that really got me into boxing is a man, like you say, on my cap, Anthony Joshua, the current unified heavyweight champion of the world. Started, um, always knew of AJ from when he won the Olympic gold, um, but more so started following him after his win against Dylan White in 2015. So um, when it comes to boxing, a conversation about boxing, that's the first guy I turn to, AJ. Okay, so hopefully not a too notable age gap, but we got AJ for you for growing up. For me, it was <laughs> Lennox Lewis, Frank Bruno, Nigel Benn, etc. But fortunately through professional uh, work as well, I've been ringside for Tyson Fury. I've been ringside for Josh Warrington in Leeds. So we are delighted to have such a stellar first guest who this is the first time I've met Vidal, but you, you have a prior relationship with Vidal, Dom. Do you want to tell us how you guys came to come to, to knock heads with each other? Yeah, so um, I first met Vidal through Sports Aid. Um, we filmed um, some content of me training. I took him through the gym, took him through his paces. You know, we shared a common love for Skiff and we had a little contest with that. Um, so he did a really, really good YouTube video that's now on his channel. Um, and I really, really enjoyed that. Vidal, obviously a great, great athlete, but even better person. So humble, so easy to talk to. So I'm delighted to have him on the podcast and I'm delighted to get chatting to him. So let's hear from the man himself. Welcome, Vidal Riley. Hello, hello. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm good. I like the introduction. You guys are making me sound great already. <laughs> <laughs> you are great, man. You are. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Now I was feeling, I was feeling like also a world champion there for a second. <laughs> Soon come, man. Soon come in the near future. Fingers crossed. 
defo, defo, defo. Vidal, we, we, you know, boxing is your thing, but like with, I guess you yeah. can't start anyone's story with how, when was the first time you set, set foot in a ring? Wow, feels like a, feels like a century ago now, but uh, mm-hmm. first stepped in the gym at six years old, 17 years. Oh my gosh, I'm getting old. <laughs> you know, you know what? You know when you're used to saying a certain answer? Yeah. Like, you're like, oh, yeah, I've been doing it for 12 years. And you're like, oh, okay, that sounds about right. But when I'm actually thinking about it, oh, my gosh, yeah, it's been 17 years. Crazy. And it's yeah, like, so I... obviously, a lifetime in the sport. Like, who was, like, your first sort of inspiration in it? Was it, like, a particular um, boxer or anything like that? You know, David A., for me, he was the same weight. He's always been, like, even in the amateurs, he competed in the same weight classes. We kind of grew at the same rate, um, mm-hmm. different generations apart, but we grew at the same rate. So kind of seeing a guy from London who's good at boxing, going to like the world championships, turning professional, being a household name, it was like, I, f- I can do this. It kind of gave me the belief, like, you know, I can do this. And he was the best cruiserweight and probably to this day is the best cruiserweight the UK has ever had. So wow. if I'm not aspiring to match David or surpass David, I feel like my benchmark is kind of off. So from yeah. the start, he was definitely a inspiration, 100%. And sort of just fast forward to sort of just now, um, obviously yeah. the last year has been very, very unpredictable with the coronavirus pandemic very, and so on and so very. forth. How was sort of last year for you? Um, was there any good points? Was there any particular bad points? Could you just uh, talk us through that? Uh, the beginning of last year was good. Um, in, I had my fight in February and I won a unanimous decision um, points nice. win. And that was in my debut for maybe of a promotion. So that was a good stage to really come, have a coming out party and, and prove that I do have boxing skill. Um, nice. Some of my previous fights, my first two were quick knockouts. So you can't really see the potential of somebody. You can just put it down to the opponent being below their level which mm-hmm. they were below my level. So, you know, I done what I was supposed to, but it doesn't give people a chance to really judge. Yeah. In my third and fourth fight, they went in the distance. So you can see me nice. trying to work on new things, use my IQ. So the beginning of the year was good, a good performance. Then that was just before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. The pandemic landed, that kind of delayed everything. And then kind of mid to the end of last year, it was a little bit of a downer. I can't even lie, it was a bit of a downer. Mm-hmm. Um, few fights were uh, cancelled because of the pandemic. Opportunities became limited. Um, and then later in the year, as we know, I, was, I had the good news, temporary good news of being on the Mike Tyson, Roy Jones undercard, which is legendary because Roy Jones is actually my favourite fighter of all time. David Hay, wow. most inspired but mm-hmm. favourite fighter of all time, come watch him any time of the day, Ray Jones Jr. So to be at a point where um, I'm missing out on that opportunity through injury, definitely a tough one. At this stage in my career, it's not worth the risk either. You know, if we're going into a unification battle and I've got this injury and there's millions of people around the world, thousands in the arena that are paying to watch me, then, of course, you know, we have to try and battle through certain things. 
I was going to say that's guess is the the fine lines of elite sport. I guess many elite athletes will probably say I'm never a hundred percent, but when you're going into a combat sport and you have to, you know, you have to literally defend yourself at times. How how difficult a decision was that? Like you say, because sadly this was an opportunity you weren't yeah. able to take. Was that easy to deal with, or how did you mull over it, or were you straight away? Yeah, this is um, a long term game. Naturally, naturally, I was in a place where I was down and I was disappointed and you said how hard it was to make that decision the decision is so hard to make that I didn't make the decision I I had my team had to make the decision and credit to them because obviously everyone benefits from me stepping in the ring but for them to see the bigger picture and come to that decision for me shows that I've got a great team around me but yeah to answer your question of how hard it is um, it's so hard that I didn't make the decision. And I feel like at the time, of course, I was going to feel down. I would be a bit, it'd be a bit abnormal to be like, oh, yeah, that's fine. You know, these things, these things happen. As much as we always say, don't stress about what's not in your control and stuff like that, we all do. It's, it's human, it's human nature. So at that time, definitely took me a bit of time to get over it but then see the other side and realize why that decision was made and now I think it was a blessing and and um that time going through that added to me as a person most importantly you know a lot of people athletes and no dominant definitely can relate we spend so much time trying to become the best athletes that we can and along those lines we can also forget how we're adding to ourselves away from the sport that we participate in. So going through those events and going through things that are not planned and are not as sweet as we would like them to be, do do we do we just say, oh, I'm 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 flopping now. I'm gonna give up now. Like you can't. You have to add things to yourself as a person to help you see the picture clearer and further. And that is what I gained from that. And it was a blessing that happened to me because it did allow me more time to work on things about myself to deal with these situations better or like-for-like scenarios. Yeah. When these things do come up again, will it hit me as bad? No, because I've had that experience, I've learned from it, and I can draw on it to then surpass the next one. Yeah, it's so good, you know, to hear about that sort of long term thinking, you know, always thinking about the positives, even though, you know, as you said, that was such a downer for you, you were really, really pumped up for that fight training, um, and the injury stopped you. So hopefully, in the future, we can see, you know, that sort of positive thinking, that long term thinking come to fruition, and hopefully some fights coming up for the year. So how are you sort of training this year? What is this year looking like, even though, you know, the times are still um, very unpredictable right now? What's Mm -hmm. this year looking like for you? Well, end of last year, going into the current year, 2021, has been major rehab. It's been so focused on rehab and just trying to make sure we, we identify why the injury was occurring. Um, getting the pain of an injury can be numbed, right? You can numb the pain of an injury and it will still be there. And if you, if I had a fight date, coming up very soon it would be a case of numbing the pain worsening the injury but still getting the performance out this time has given us 
you know, the period to break down why the pain is happening and get rid of the pain. So it's been heavy rehab, intensive rehab. Uh, I genuinely thought going into rehab, I've never done a full rehab, uh, you know, camp, you could say, or process. And I did think it was going to be, you know, a lot of massage, a lot of stretching and stuff like that, which it is. But some of the exercises to strengthen the muscles that are lacking, that cause the injury, ah, oh, mm-hmm. man, <laughs> it's a... Listen, that, that caught me off guard. And trust me, you definitely get fatigued as if you've been doing a weight session or something yeah. like that, training the smart muscles in the body. And um, yeah, I've, I've definitely become more aware of my body. I understand when certain things are activating now, why they weren't. And that's just going to help me in the ring tremendously. So I'm excited. I'm excited to get back in and... I'm excited to showcase a, a, a 2.0, you could say, back from injury. I don't know if you'll agree that, you know, you'll probably know how many athletes who have loads of injuries and then are battling injuries from mm. day dot. But for like you to say, to come, you know, it's not late in your career, but when you've already turned pro and this is the first real time that you've had to reset and, you know, like you say, go down into those individual mm. exercises and those specific nuances that build your whole mm. frame together. No one wants to get injured, but again, taking this from the positive, has it been a huge benefit to your career now that, for example, if something happens again in a year's time, two years' time, you'll already have been to that dark place of how difficult it is and you will be able to adjust to an injury better in the future? Yeah, exactly. That's that's pretty much how I feel. Um, the competition is not going to get easier. This is the way you've got to look at it as well. The, competi- the competition is not going to get easier. The rounds are not going to get shorter. So if you're feeling an injury in a four-rounder, you feel it in a six, eight, ten, or twelve. So this is the perfect time for this to happen because we wouldn't want it to happen at a later stage when I'm on the cusp of a world title, you know, number one ranked. Or it doesn't even have to be a world title, just any meaningful title in my pro career that is going to, that I could use as a stepping stone to progress. If that injury happened at that stage, I think it'd be more devastating. This is, there's no ideal time for an injury, but this is the closest you can get. If I can just take you back to just, we'll get a bit more into your story of to the present day. Yeah. You said you started at six. How quickly did you, because I think from the outside looking in, we all see arguably the glitz and the glamour of, of boxing mm-hmm. and the masculinity of it all, and we all probably fancy ourselves. How quickly was it for you from, I don't know, from, from six or seven that you realised mm. boxing is legit? Yeah, we can all want to go in there and start throwing punches, but the discipline, the training, the all different types of techniques, are, yeah, I guess that really the technical expertise that's required yeah. to succeed in a sport. How quickly did that hit you? Well, you know what? This is a very interesting question because the answer isn't what many people anticipate but the truth of it is I didn't really recognize despite my achievements along the way I didn't really recognize how good I was at the sport until maybe 17 despite the fact that only 10 years after starting, 11 years after starting, I realized, oh, I'm, I'm actually good at this. Before this, my dad was like, you're good at it. And I'm not going to let you waste it because you don't realize what you have. And I'm not going to let you just live how you want to live because you don't understand what you have. 
you don't understand the, the talent you have. So I'm going to push you through to the stage where maybe one day you'll realize it. And that's exactly what happened. So between it, when I was winning my national titles from 12, 13, 14, 15, I was kind of just going with the emotions of it. I was just doing exactly what my dad told me to do. He's like, do this and you'll win. And I'm like, all right, well, you ain't got no reason to lie. So let me just do what you're saying. I wouldn't actually dive in further to ask why. He would tell me the why anyway, but the, the own, my intuition or my, um, you know, use, using my intuition to, to go ahead and say, all right, even though he's taught me this move today, I'm going to look at it, I'm going to study it, and I'm going to work out, okay, that's when it's used. I just took his word for it. I literally took his word for it, done it, and it worked. Only at about 17, as I say, I actually sat back and was like, okay, I, I think I can do this. Like I've, I don't, I don't think I need you to push me to do this anymore. I believe that I can put my mind to it and actually achieve at it. And I still have his support. So now it's like two forces, two brains that are working overtime to enable me the ability to become the best boxer that I can be. And that's why I feel like I've improved the most as a fighter in the last two and a half maybe three years in comparison to the extent of my career. And that is, that's the most honest answer I can give you, really. Yeah. That's interesting to hear, man. So interesting to hear that even though you started so <laughs> young. young yeah. yeah. Like, it took you, like, almost 10 years to actually uh, realise, uh, like, yo, years. I'm actually good. <laughs> good at this, yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm like, oh, I actually give myself some credit here. I'm, I can... And I think I looked at the competition. I became more aware of the competition. Mm -hmm. I live. I live in my. I kind of live in my own bubble. Even now, I live in my own bubble. Like, even though I have the following that I have and all these things, like I don't go through the comments and I don't mm -hmm. check how, all my likes and all stuff like that. I kind of post and I move. I like to just live in the in the real world. Like I don't like to get consumed in yeah. socials as much as we need. And I appreciate the fact I have it. It's like how like I can't go off social. So I've always been my own bubble type of person. So even my yeah. opponents, I won't ever research them. Uh, I'll just be like, okay, it's the semi-final of this tournament and this is the opponent. So off to mm -hmm. work we go. And I'm yeah. kind of glad I took that approach because you can develop so many underlying thoughts when you become more aware of situations. You know, that's why they say ignorance is bliss because... The fact I didn't know, some of those guys might have been way better than I even know to this day. But because I just looked at him like, oh, it's him, I'd performed as if they're, they're a nobody, yeah. for example. So it kind of has its, its plus and its minus, like everything in life. But yeah, I, was, I wasn't aware. I wasn't aware and I didn't, I didn't actually take the time to, to dive into detail. I was just, okay, tournaments this day, did I make weight? Perfect. Hop on the scale. Let's fight. And that was the yeah. routine for years. Um, but then when I became a more when I became more aware of the competition, that's when I was like, no, nah, I can do this. I can do this because he can't do this move. I can do this move. He can't do that move. I can do this move. He don't hit hard. I hit hard. And then I'm like, all right, with this, with this guy on here, I can go somewhere. And then that only, yeah, like I said, that only happened in like the last four or five, four or five years. So, yeah.
Well, just touching upon that, you said, you said about like your, your early success. When people look back on your record, European junior silver medalist, a, a youth Olympian. How did you, how was that success to you at the time? Was that, oh, it's because my dad tells me how to do it. Were you sort of self-deprecating in yeah. that? And didn't you not see yourself as a, a rising star? Or did it take, like you say, until no, it's like, 17, 18 to realise for the penny to drop? It's, it, it did, it did take, even at the Youth Olympics, like, you don't really, I'm telling you, I don't, I didn't really put it into context what was going on. I'm like, oh, Youth Olympics, I'm going away to China for a month. I've got my Team GB kit. I'm going to meet all these people from different countries. We're all in this village. You, you know what I mean? You've got to remember, we're all in this village. All the athletes in this village, just like the Senior Olympics. And you're just meeting people from here, there and everywhere. All different kinds of sports, you know. Obviously, you've got girls there. I'm going through that age where they're aware. <laughs> I'm aware of what they are. I ain't aware of the boxing thing, but I'm aware that I, I like girls. So you got all of them are from different nations, the track and field, everything. And then I'm just thinking, wow, this is kind of cool. They was giving us free McDonald's. There's free McDonald's on the on the campus. So like all these things, I'm like, oh, boxing's cool because <laughs> because I can box. I'm here. I'm getting to experience these things, and it, it explains the result of the Youth Olympics because my brain wasn't in the right place the entire time you know mm -hmm. and um i think it was to be fair the youth olympics was the first time i recognized you know what i could be the best in the, in the world at this as i said 17 that was at 17 and the reason why i thought that is because i got drawn against the world number one in my first fight and i knew that was going to happen only the top six in the world got to go to the youth olympics six people and i knew they were going to give me the world number one and in that fight to this day and i'm not the only one that would say this and my coach just said it i believe i won the fight i didn't get the decision but i do believe i beat him and after that when he didn't give me the decision i was like nah like i won that fight you know I, I, he's the best in the world but i beat him you know and then i had to fight the next day for the bronze medal and I just went up to it. I went up to it. Next day, I was like, no, nah, I beat the best guy that's here. And I didn't get the decision. Now you guys want to fight for bronze. And the mentality should have been, if I'm in it, I'm, whatever it is, I'm winning it. And that's the mentality now, is if I'm going to enter and step foot in that ring, you're not going to beat me. And it's really try. And I didn't have that mentality back then. So I did lose that fight also. But I think that was the first time I recognised, if I put my mind to this, that guy's number one and he didn't have nothing on me. The fight, you couldn't tell who was the number one in that fight. So, um, yeah, it was... I didn't really take in the magnitude of the level that I've reached. And to this day, I still kind of have that element of me when it comes to the following that I have. And so I, sometimes I think I can just walk in the shop and it's it's calm and it's not even with a mask on with how we live in <laughs> wow. I, don't know, I don't know if it's my hairline or something <laughs> but people know it's me i'm walking crazy and i'm like i'm with my girl and i'm like i think 
I think they can. Uh, I think they notice me. And she's like, "No, nah, you're paranoid." Then we move to the next aisle in Tesco, and you see them down the other side of the aisle <laughs> staring at me, and I'm like, "Ah!" Oh. Like I honestly sometimes think of myself as look, I'm just an, a regular guy, and I can just do regular things. I can just get on the tube, and I won't be harassed. But if the right person is on that tube on that day, it's gonna become stressful. So I haven't. I have a habit of belittling my accomplishments, but I feel like. It's better to be that way than in yeah. the reverse, where you're hyping yourself to be this big thing and you ain't really doing anything. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So I kind of like it that way around. It's yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, but it works for me. Yeah, definitely hear that. Yeah, like I was saying before, you know, that's the <laughs> that's one of the first things you know I recognize that I met you that you're so humble, like you've got this massive yeah, following, man, you know, bright career, but you're still so humble, <laughs> which is so great to see, man. No, thank you, man. I appreciate. So I appreciate good to see. That. Just a, one more question about that sort of upbringing in boxing. Um, obviously, yeah. along with the Youth Olympics, it didn't go the way you wanted, but I, you know, I still imagine to get there was a big achievement for you. What were some yeah. other key achievements in that sort of transition from you know six year old just entering the sport um, mm. until sort of maybe even seventeen and onwards? You know, realizing that you're good and that you could go on to be the very world's best. What were some of the key achievements along with that Youth Olympics? Um, I think one of the key achievements was being able to adapt my level, you know, like not from a medal standpoint, like not an achievement from a medal standpoint, but an actual achievement to be able at such a young age to put myself out there on those stages. And this is what I'm saying when it comes to being a better athlete is always our focus, but actually deep in things as a person, and as you grow up and you realise, you look at a 13-year-old, you look at a 6-year-old. I look at, like, my 6-year-old cousins, and I'm like, wow, I was getting punched in the face already at this age. I was in the gym already at this age. I'm like, this is tiny. Is this what a 6-year-old looks like? You're living in your own body. You don't yeah, know. Yeah, you don't yeah, really yeah. Know. You look at pictures, but uh, it's still you. When you mm -hmm. see a like for like, I'm like, wow, I was 6 years old, I was already in the gym. I look at a I look at a ten year old, eleven year old, and that's when I won. Well, eleven, I won my first national title, and it's like wow, he's a national champion at eleven years old. It's kind of crazy when you look at it in hindsight because it's just such a tender age to be achieving anything. So, my first national title that can never be forgotten, and that is really the path of things, you know, because even from whether it's sports say whether it's the national governing body of your chosen sport that is the beginning of you being noticed that is the beginning of when someone goes he's got talent so that national title as much as i achieved after that and however many i won after that that one is the one that gets the ball rolling to get other people outside of your house to believe in what you're doing so i definitely say as much as I've achieved a lot, the first national title can never be replaced or dismissed. Yeah. How quickly did um, goal setting come in, into your radar, Vidal? Because you talked about largely then, understandably, due to your age and somewhat naivety, you had a lot of success because you didn't make it out to be a big thing. 
when was it that, and I don't know if this coincides with the decision to turn pro, when was it, like you said, obviously 17, 18, you were starting to think, okay, I'm legit, I can do this boxing mm -hmm. thing. Then how did it start to think of world championships or turning pro? How did, how's that mindset developed over time? So that took a while. I always wanted to be a professional boxer. I never wanted to be an amateur boxer. I didn't like amateur boxing. I liked pro boxing. I grew up watching pro boxing. My dad would put pro boxing on the TV. So as far as I was concerned, that's what being a boxer is. He notified me on the fact I'd have to wear a head guard and a vest and I'd have to box for this club. I was like, that's kind of not what I'm trying to do here. And then he was like, well, if you want to get to this stage and have a better life at this stage, you have to do this stage first. And I was like, oh, like, this is a bit long, this. Like, I'm trying to go on TV, show my muscles and punch up someone on Sky or whatever, <laughs> ITV, whatever it's going to be, you know? And then he was like, nah, 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 you got you to gotta do this first. You got to, you know, pave your way through here. The more respect you earn here, the easier it is there. So I was like, all right, what's the, how can I get the most respect? He's like, you got to go to the Olympics. Everyone knows an Olympic medalist. I was mm -hmm. like, okay. So we worked out the years, we worked out the age, my age, and we said, all right, I might miss Rio Olympics, mm -hmm. um, which is 2016, might be a bit too young. So we aimed for Tokyo 2020. So the goal was always to aim for Tokyo 2020. Um, and on the way there, the targets were to win the national title every year. That was like just standard. You know, a lot of people, people have different levels in what they do. And whatever you achieve will be your heights. That will be your heights. It might not be mine, but if being the champion of London is your heights and that's what you set out to achieve, I can't say anything to you for that. Apart from well done, you achieve what you set out to do. But for me, at the beginning of every tournament, it was... Who's, who's up north? Because it was always south versus north. Who's up north in my way who I'm fighting in the final? That was my mentality. I wasn't allowed to think any less than that. You know, and along the way, you win the London Championship. You win, like, the Southern Counties Championship. You win this division. I, I, dismissed those, I dismissed those and was like, who is in the final? This is a national tournament. I'm coming for the whole thing. So who's, who's there? And I kept that mentality the whole the whole way. And even when I went to international tournaments, I look at the draw, I'm like, well, we're here to win. Like, this is what we're here to do. We're here to win. We're not really here to say we took part. And um, with that mentality and the ultimate goal of the Olympics in Tokyo 2020, that was the first time goal setting. An ultimate goal was set. But the mini goals was always win everything that you can win. And most of the time, I did a couple hiccups here and there. As you know, life is a of little bumpy road and stuff. But majority of the time, if you saw me step in the ring, you'd put your money on the fact I'm going to win. So I'm happy with that. So how did it? So how did Tokyo 2020? When was that taken off the table? And then it was like, right, I'm all in now. It's straight. It's it's pro for me. Pro is the next big step. Uh, this is the, this is where the story actually becomes a bit long. Um, <laughs> so it was 2016. 2016 Olympics passed, and Lawrence Apoli represented Team GB. 
in 2016 in my week. And Lawrence, I tell him to his face as I have, and I'll say to you guys here, I, I have return respect for that guy. Because in 2012, he worked in McDonald's. He saw AJ go to the Olympics, win a gold, and started boxing because of him. So within the space of four years, he said, you know what, I want to go to the next Olympics. And he did. And he was there. So I had the much respect I have for him. When I watched him in the Olympics, I was like, I could beat him. This is my honest opinion. I'm sitting down watching it, and I'm like, I could, I could beat this guy. And I still believe to this day that I can, that I can beat him. But I understand everything is timing. So I was watching it and I was like, oh, I could beat this guy. I can definitely go to the next Olympics. So I set out on the traditional path, as I always done from a kid. We've got to win the nationals first. We have to win the nationals. And my, and my uh, first, it was my first senior national title attempt. I won a ton of junior school boys and all that stuff. Then it was my first attempt at winning a senior title, and I lost. So I was like, oh, well, this sets me back. This ain't the plan. This ain't part of the plan. So that set me back. But as a senior, you have two national tournaments per year. So it's called CYP. So it's like clubs for young people. I think that's, that's what it was called at the time anyway, the clubs for young people. And it was recognized as a national title. It has Wales included in there, um, obviously England participate. I think it is just Wales and England who participate in the CYPs. But I lost. The next one is the main one. The ABAs is the most prestigious English am amateur title you can win. A senior ABA title. So I entered that um, 19, 18, 19 years old. Got to the as I said, I enter every tournament with the same mentality. Where's the final? I got to the quarterfinals, which um, it was held over three days, quarter, semi, and finals. So I made it to the final stage. We got to the final venue of where I'm going to be champion. In the quarterfinal, I beat uh, Chris Binham-Smith, who's now a recognized professional, Commonwealth champion, I believe, as a cruiserweight. So I beat him and he got to the final the year before. So I'm used to getting tough draws. That's part of my luck, by the way. I don't <laughs> get easy draws. Yeah, I could get some, any random guy, they go and give me the best guy that they can find. <laughs> so the guy that was the finalist the previous year, I get him in the quarterfinals. So I'm like, oh, okay, I won that fight. Didn't look my best, but I won it clearly. Semi-final, I end up fighting the guy who made the final... The, the semi-final the year before. He made the semi-final the year before. So again, we're in that stage of competition now where it gets tough. And the fight was pretty even in the first round. I got a mad head clash. Like, I just remember having a lump, like, mm. just right here, just massive. At this point, this is when they remove head guards from senior amateur boxing. Head clash, bang. And this thing was growing and growing and growing and yeah it was it was crazy I never had an injury like that before and I lost the fight on a split decision it was a close fight I can't argue like 
could have just flipped a coin and chose the winner really and they and it landed on on his side of the coin so fair play to him and i always admit that like if it's close it's close if i win i say i think i won but so i lost dreams again crushed i'm thinking now i'm not even a national champion how am i going to make it to the olympics if i'm not even the best in my country this is this is impossible so after that england uh, England said to me, look, we understand you're a quality fighter. These things happen. It was a close. It was a close fight. Come and represent us against the army. And this was maybe a couple months later. There was like, come and, come and represent us. We're doing England versus the army, a ceremonial show. You go to the army base and you, and you box against them. I said, yeah, cool. Just so happens, the guy that beat me in the ABAs is from the army. And he's the same what? weight as me. So I'm like, ah, rematch. Let's go. And remember, at this point, I told you I do watch the sport and I do care enough to work out tactics and game. Mm -hmm. So I'm not just winging it. So I'm like, no, I know his style. He's going to jump in. He's going to do this. And um, that was a case of overanalysis causing paralysis you look at something so much you think that you're doing all these details and you lose what makes you you which is your natural ability i've been boxing since the age of six i know how to fight with a little bit of knowledge it would have been enough but i dive so far into my loss and i tried to overanalyze the situation that when i got in there i just froze for the first two rounds and it's only a three-round fight and I froze, the game plan didn't come together until like the last 30 seconds of the third round. And then that's when it clicked. Oh, this is what I have to do to beat you. But it was too late. So he beat me again. My amateur career finished on two consecutive defeats, um, which was a pain. In between, in between the loss to him and... In between the two losses to him, I did win another national title. I forgot. I did. Actually, I won another national title in between losing to him again. But again, I did lose. And um, now we was really, the Olympics were looking further and further away. So it was a long drive back from the army base. My dad said to me, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What's the plan? He's like, I think you have to turn pro. I think you have to turn pro. I was like, ah, oh, you know, I don't know. He's planning this Olympics thing and da da da. Week later, I start training KSI. Start training KSI. He said, "Yeah, I want to learn how to box." I was like, "Okay." Well, start training KSI. Start developing a following. Remember, the original reason of me doing the amateur ranks was to develop a following enough to make my life easier as a professional. We bypassed all of that by bumping in to KSI. Now, he gets the ultimate credit for bringing me my recognition and popularity, but there was a lot of other YouTubers along the way who shouldn't be dismissed that led mm -hmm. to me meeting him. I trained a ton of his friends before I ended up meeting him, and I credit all of them. But he obviously is the biggest YouTuber in the UK. So once you're attached to him, you're going to just get, uh, you know, the little drips and drabs of popularity that he has. But 
he's so famous. The drips and jabs are actually quite a lot. <laughs> so I started training him, and then when I started getting a when I started getting a profile building for um for training him, you know, he won his fight and he won in great fashion. So it made people believe in what I say boxing wise. Um and then Floyd Mayweather Sr. W- wanted to do some content. He wanted to make some videos for the Mayweather Boxing Channel. So he got called to go to Vegas. And he said to me, oh, do you want to go? And I was like, I can't even afford it. I'm not going to lie to you. I can't afford it. So thank you for even considering me. But I can't afford it. I'm not going. And I didn't want him to pay for me. Uh, I'm quite like that. I- I'm like, no, no, I've got it. Like, let me... You know, um, he's not. He, me and him weren't boys like that at that stage for me to accept such a big thing from him. Even though I did lead him to his first boxing victory, I didn't value that as a big deal, really. So I was like, "It's cool, don't worry about it." He was like, "Nah, I'll pay. You never know. Just come along." Then my friend Leon said to me, "You might as well go." He said, "The luck that you have, you're either gonna end your career out there, or you're gonna end up getting signed." <laughs> and then I ended up getting signed. <laughs> so there was then there. So as I was only out there for a week, I sparred with a few people that are highly respected in Vegas, highly respected in professional boxing, and I was still an amateur at this stage. So my now trainer Jeff Mayweather said to me, "Look, if you're competing with these guys who are world ranked as professionals, you can be a pro. You can do it. You can turn pro." And at that at that time, a couple months later, after looking at the contracts and reviewing a few things, the Olympic dream was scrapped, and we was, and we are now professionals signed to Mayweather Promotions. So it just goes to show, man. Everyone in life got all these plans, and you're always talking about, ah, oh, this is what I'm gonna do. This is what I'm gonna do. You don't know, but one thing is for sure: if you don't work towards anything, you won't achieve anything if you're working towards something the direction and trajectory of your success will find its way somewhere and i guess that is what the moral of the story is we put in the work to achieve something and we did get something out it just wasn't what we originally planned so interesting story not your traditional story it changes like three quarters of the way but I wouldn't change that for anything, and it's blessed me in many ways, and I'm I'm just grateful, man. I'm thankful to be where I am. Vidal, just picking up on something you said there was really interesting. You use the word we a lot. It's not I got signed by Mayweather or I won this or, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of we. Is boxing an individual or a team sport for you? It's obviously boxing is one man trying to, beat up another man, right? That's mm-hmm. it. Let's let's take away the glitz and glamour of it. It's like, can I beat you up? Mm-hmm. Or can you beat me up? That's what it boils down to, right? But I'd say that boxing is only an individual sport for those three minutes that the other guy's trying to knock your head off. Because even in between the rounds, it becomes a team sport again. Can, mm-hmm. I go, can I go back to the corner and sit down by myself and give myself water and take out my own gum shoot and heal my own cuts and take down my own swelling? Of course I can't. It requires a team again to then patch me up, give me the advice and send me back out within that 60 seconds to be ready for the next three minutes. 
So boxing is a team sport for me. I look at it as a team sport and only those three minutes are the individual sections. But through training camp, you've got a whole team around you, whether it's your physio, trainer, strength and conditioning coach, uh, whatever you do is a team. You can't do it by yourself. So to get to where me and Dominic have got to today, our parents part of the team. Mum's part of the team. She might not tell me how to flip. She might not tell me how what the when's the right point to leave the pad to make the mm -hmm. jump perfect, but it's part of the team. So that's why when I say we got signed, it is a matter of we got signed because it's not I'm not doing this by myself and I'm not even trying to get to the top by myself. I want the people that have been with me to go to the top too. And I think when you fight for something more than yourself, you got more power. That's, That's a great so answer. Sick, man. <laughs> so sick, man. Vidal, is there any sort of unsung heroes in your career that you'd like to shout out? You know, people that don't get the plaudits because they're so yeah. behind the scenes that have helped you so much. Well, I think um, I want to start off with my, my boxing club. West Ham Boxing Club. Very prestigious boxing club ton of champions have been produced from there. But when certain things were difficult for me in the process of getting where I am today, they stuck by me. A lot of clubs would, you know, push certain fighters aside, knowing that there's a conveyor belt of talent. But they stuck by me from 12 years old till I made the decision to turn pro. And even after I made the decision to turn pro, the facilities are still there for me to use for my own training. They allow me to hold boxing clubs, um, boxing sessions for the, the youth. I really are a part of the family when it comes to that boxing club. And also my mum as well. My mum doesn't know much about boxing, but one thing she done on her side of the parenting was make sure that hair is, is switched on. You hear a lot of fighters say, I've got nothing else. I've got nothing to turn to. If it wasn't for boxing, then what would I do? And like, yeah, I get that. A lot of people are put in that position and they make do with what they got. But my mum made sure I was educated. She made sure I have my GCSEs, that I went to college, that even if I broke both my hands one day, I still could be of use in some way. So I do give my mum a lot of credit. And even the way I live my life and structure my life to this day, even though she didn't teach me how to throw a jab, without some of the life lessons and structure that she offered me, I'd probably be all over the place today. So, yeah, definitely a big shout out to my mum. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely hear that, man. Like, from my, you know, <laughs> point of um, view, me being an elite athlete, you know, my mum has been so, so pivotal myself. She doesn't know a thing about gymnastics either. But, you know, she's always made sure that I stayed focused, you know, got my education, made sure I had other interests. So we definitely, um, you know, share that sort of affection for our mothers and how That's pivotal they are. Go. And hopefully... Shout out to all the mums. Indeed, man. And hopefully sure, all yeah. the athletes out there, you know, watching, aspiring, you know, realise, you know, how important mm. parents are to the journey, even though they might not help you on a technical, physical, you know, way they can Some be so, so thing, supportive, man. you know, mm. and in your mental journey and keeping you, you, um, and that's going to go a long way to helping you achieve whatever you achieve in your career and in your life. So thank you for sharing yes, with man. us that, man. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Man, I can't stop.
This may be the first time you're hearing about Sports Aid, so let me give you a quick snapshot into what the charity does. They've supported over a thousand of the country's brightest sporting prospects each year, the vast majority aged between 12 to 18. The athletes are nominated to Sports Aid by governing bodies of more than 60 sports, and the award they receive acts as a real motivational boost that is often the first recognition they're given outside of their support network. The athletes benefit from a financial award to help towards the cost of their sport as well as being able to access specialist workshops and personal development opportunities. Well, since 1976, Sports Aid has supported tens and thousands of athletes at the very start of their journey, long before they became household names. Their illustrious alumni include Olympic and Paralympic legends such as Jessica Anisale, Mo Farah, Tani Gray Thompson, Sarah Story and Steve Redgrave. And more recently, we've got the likes of Laura Kenny, Ellie Simmons, Adam Peaty, Tom Daly and Dina Asher-Smith. If you'd like to help the next generation of British sporting heroes to follow in their footsteps, please visit sportsaid.org.uk to find out more about how you can make a difference. Thanks for listening to episode one of the Sports Aid Vault podcast. And what a way to kick things off. You can hear more from Vidal Riley in episode two, available to listen to now.